legacy impact, not just for a year or one player's life or one player's career, not just for one generation, one program, or one era, for an entire sport. The face of Duke basketball has been Coach K, yeah. But the face of college basketball has also been Coach K. And this weekend, for the final time ever in the regular season, Coach K and the Blue Devils will face their arch rivals. Arguably, the biggest rivalry in all of sports will take place at Cameron Indoor this weekend. The entire world will be watching for this lesson in history, the impact in this moment, and questions about the future for everybody involved. It's Bain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and your smart speakers. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo on this Friday edition of the show. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And don't forget, every day is, every day is game day with Wendy's Breakfast, the official breakfast of the NCAA. Choose wisely, choose Wendy's. You choose wisely if you're choosing to watch Coach K this weekend. And you've heard about it all day, but it's important to really put into context what the retirement of Coach Krzyzewski means. And when you start thinking about the opportunity to watch him play his final regular coach, his final regular season game at Cameron against North Carolina specifically, it all just hits different. It hits harder. Now, I'm the first to admit, for anyone that doesn't know my background, uh, I grew up in Vegas as a little kid, right? And so I grew up a huge UNLV fan. I've never hidden the fact that I have one VHS tape in my house. That tape says the Duke. Uh, it says UNLV 103, Duke 73. As UNLV beat Duke for a national championship, I remember that game vividly as a kid. I also remember the next year in the Final Four where UNLV was a big favorite, and uh, I was sure that my beloved running Rebels were going to do it again. That was not the case. Duke pulled off the massive upset. I've never forgotten that. And as a kid, that was the first time that my favorite team made me ball. I just bawled like a baby when Duke beat UNLV. And for the longest time, I have lo- I've loudly said there's no team I root against more than Duke, Duke basketball. And I can say all of that and still say there's no coach that I would have rather have my favorite team have than Coach K. And part of that is because of the impact to the team, the impact of the sport. But a lot of it is also because the impact of the people. I've joked with Jay Williams so much. Jay Will, you can hear every morning on Keyshawn, Jay Will and Max, and uh, we're close, we're friends, and uh, I've joked with him over the years of getting to know him, saying, hey, I'm sorry for how much I rooted against you just because you went to, to Duke. And, and so many people know the story of Jay Will, the accident he was in, and how it changed his life. What I thought was incredible this morning was hearing Jay Will on the morning show talk so honestly about not just that moment, but Coach K and what he meant in it. This is what he said. My last Coach K story um, is something that is very personal to me. So, obviously, I I suffered a life-changing event in my life uh, when I hit a utility pole on a motorcycle going around 70 miles per hour, clipped the whole left side of my body. And I, I sometimes think that we lose sight of how special of relationships coaches have with their players. And the reason why I'm telling you this story is because the person I'm going to introduce – and I know a lot of players that he's had relationships with. It's almost in the same vein. Um, so for me, waking up that night, obviously you can imagine not really know, knowing what the hell was going on, what was happening. But to wake up, to see in my head coach, Coach K, uh, praying with the rosary over me. Uh, and in that moment, me wanting to apologize to him and to myself, frankly, saying I threw it all away. And here's how coaches are so incredible at redirecting you. And so many times throughout the courses of games when you're playing bad, sometimes you can get lost in your own funk, and they just give you a slight shift to help you get out of your own way. 
he handed me the rosary and he said, you know, you give this back to me because you're going to have moments in your life where you're going to be exponentially better because of this moment. Man, you think about the power in that and the, the power of relationship, the power of giving a damn. You know, and, and so many of us, when we watch our favorite team, become obsessed with the result, especially with college sports. You know, I love covering college football as much as I do, and I love covering college basketball every Saturday uh, digitally on Countdown to Game Day. And part of what I love about the college sport in general is the level of fandom that surrounds it, the absolute passion that surrounds it, the fact that you can watch whether it's you know, at Cameron or whether it's uh, at Breslin and you're watching everybody go nuts at a Michigan State game. You're watching people go absolutely crazy for the team that they love and for the players that they love even if they don't know them because they love the jersey that's on their chest. And in that process, we become so obsessed with the wins and losses of all of it that we forget at times that it's about something different, particularly at the college level. It's about growth. It's about relationships. It's about molding young students. It's about that teacher-student relationship that truly can still exist. And when you hear that sort of a story, and I will say Bobby Hurley did a great job of telling a very similar anecdote when it came to coach when you hear that sort of a story, it reminds you the power that Coach K has had. The lasting legacy that Coach K will have will go long past Saturday. You know, I, I don't know if we'll see Duke play North Carolina again. You don't know how the ACC tournament will go. And I know that we're going to have this Coach K conversation several times because every game could be the last for Duke and Coach K this season once we get into tournament time. What I do know is that long after this year is done, the stories of Coach K will continue. And when you start thinking about the stories of Coach K and the legacy, that's what you have to consider. Now, Jay Billis, ESPN College Basketball Analyst, made an important point when he talked about what the emotions will be like. This was from this morning on Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max. I think once the game starts, he'll be fine. But the before and after, you know, he, he's an emotional guy, too. People may not, may not know that. They see the emotion from coaching, which is usually on, on one side of the spectrum. But it might not be as much before, but I imagine it'll get ridiculous after. I'll never forget. Uh, Spain and Fitz, by the way, Jason Fitz flying solo on ESPN Radio. Uh, I'll never forget the Alaska State Fair. Now, I'm no Coach K. I never pretend to be Coach K, and I don't pretend to have had the impact that he had in his sport in any aspect of my career. But I'll never forget my last show as a musician. And I knew that I'd been offered uh, an opportunity with ESPN. I knew that I was quitting the band. I knew that I was done. I knew that it was going to be my last show. It was the Alaska State Fair. And you think, you know, for weeks leading up, you think about what that moment might be like. You think about how you're going to handle it, what you're going to do. I joked for years that the last time I ever played a fiddle solo, I was going to walk to the edge of the stage, play the solo, and throw it out into the crowd. Just throw the fiddle away. I'd made that joke for years. But then you actually get to the moment, and everything's different. Everything feels different. Every portion of the routine, the pre-show routine, all feels different. You find yourself taking a little extra moment, a little extra time to just soak in something. Sound check that day. I remember so vividly. John John, our, our sound guy, uh, one of the best people I've ever been on a tour bus with, just an amazing human being. And I remember standing there and just running one extra song during sound check just because I wanted to get one more opportunity to play something, just to have a little bit of fun. I remember in the middle of the show seeing different faces and holding on to the moment. And I remember, frankly, on my last fiddle solo, instead of throwing the fiddle out, I remember finding the kid that I decided I was going to hand my fiddle bow off to. I used to throw bows out every once in a while. I, I found a kid that I wanted to hand that bow to. And after the show, I took that picture and I stood on stage for another 10 minutes and I just looked around and I thought, man, it's a hell of a way to go out. 
And I, I relate that only because every single aspect of what tomorrow will be for Coach K will feel different. It'll hit heavier. It'll hit heavier for everybody in the room. It'll hit heavier for everybody that's sitting on his sideline, and it'll hit heavier for Coach. It should. I have no idea what to actually expect from management of the emotion from that because I don't think you can know what to expect. But the one thing I can expect is that we're spending the entire weekend focusing on the legacy of a coach that's earned every ounce of that focus. Coming up, what's wrong with the way we covered the NBA? We'll go from college basketball to the NBA, and I've got a fix for the entire conversation happening around the league. We'll tell you about it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. The Lakers lost again. The Nets lost again. And here we sit a day after I told you that the regular season is irrelevant in the NBA. And I finally realized that it's not the regular season. Maybe it's just a change in the tone of the conversations we have. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speakers, Jason Fitz flying solo, presented by Progressive Insurance. By the way, want to make sure everybody knows we were talking about Coach K a little bit ago. We will continue that conversation later in the show, but 6 p.m. Eastern on ESPN tomorrow, you can check out uh, Coach K. There's a special second screen coverage on ACC Network for the Coach K curtain call. You do not want to miss that. It'll be uh, amazingly well done. And if you've never checked out the ACC Network, kudos. I got a lot of friends that work over there that are just absolutely great people that do absolutely great work. Uh, so not doing great work are the Lakers and the Nets. And at some point, I've got to look around and say, okay, what's the problem? And the problem might be the conversation, because I want you to hear what Kendrick Perkins, ESPN NBA analyst, said this morning on Keyshawn J. Will and Max about the Lakers specifically. LeBron James is given everything that he possibly can. But at the end of the day, the Lakers has forgotten how to win. They don't know how to win games no more. And when you got to depend on a guy that you signed on a 10-day contract like Stanley Johnson that they end up signing for the remaining of the season, or you got to depend on the undrafted rookie and Austin Reeves and then Russell Westbrook screaming that nonsense in interviews after they lose games. You don't know when Anthony Davis is going to come back. And LeBron James is still not healthy. We, we all forget that. He's not healthy. Like, He's still playing on a hurt knee, but out there still giving people that work, but the others around him are not contributing. Okay, all of that is incredibly logical, and I love everything that Perk just said there. In fact, if he had just recited all of that and we were playing Jeopardy, I would say the answer is, why do the Lakers suck? We just got the answer to everything about why the Lakers are bad. My question is, why are we still talking about them? Like, let's be real for a second here. The Lakers are not good enough to win the NBA championship. That's why we're talking about them. When else do we focus on it? Yes, it's because of LeBron, and everybody wants to look at the soap opera of LeBron, but it's really because ultimately people want a Netflix show full of drama in the regular season. That's what y'all want. Like, why are we constantly obsessed over the different ways that the Nets lose? Well, we're obsessed about that because, frankly, the drama is fun. It's enticing. The Nets, the Lakers, you know what they are? They're like 90-day fiancé. They're married at first sight. Their love is blind. 
They're a trash reality show that really isn't worth your time, but then you get sucked in it and you can't stop watching it. And instead of watching them, we could actually be watching, I don't know, good teams. We could focus that energy instead on some of the teams that might not be big brands. They might not be sexy stories, but they're actually good. Look at this weekend. This weekend, we got the Bulls and the Bucks. We got the Cavs and the Sixers. Those are games we're talking about. But the Lakers? Man, the only reason that the Lakers are worth talking about this weekend is because they're going to lose to the Warriors, and the question is what's going on in Golden State. By the way, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in tomorrow night for that one. Lakers hosting the Warriors presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations. Now, you can watch any game. And say, okay, I like watching it because it's like playing NBA 2K. Like, it's just fun to see how this thing plays out. But if we're looking at the grand storylines, if we're looking across the spectrum at everything that we see in the NBA, we're not giving the Heat a lot of love. I think uh, uh, Tony Reale today on Around the Horn called them the least talked about, most talked about team in the NBA. Like, we're not talking a lot about the Heat. We're not talking a lot about the Bulls. Not really talking that much about the Suns. I've been talking all week about the fact that the Bucks are invisible in the conversation, even though I think they're going to go out there and repeat in the East. Like, we don't like any of these things that aren't sexy. I'll go back to, again, a music story from my, my life. And I remember the first time I ever played a fiddle solo in my entire life that was not scripted. Like, I was just me going out and playing an improv solo. And I say that, but I'd worked for weeks, right? Like, I'd gone out for weeks. I'd worked out this perfect solo it's gonna be great so I go to the edge of the stage and I play this awesome like uh, it was uh, I was nervous going into it I was afraid I wasn't gonna be able to nail it it was complicated and I freaking nailed it in front of this dive bar right and the crowd at the end gave me a smattering of applause it was like a little bit of applause they were like oh that's cool and it was I mean it was clean I played the hell out of it next night same bar I am so drunk I can barely stand up I mean I am I am a lot of Jack Daniels into that show and I realize as we're coming up to the, the fiddle solo, I'm not going to be able to play it clean at all. So I just look around. I'm like, what the hell do I do here? So I did what every fiddle player in country music does when you know you're not going to be able to nail the solo. I fell down on my knees, and I just spun my head around. I had long hair. I made my bow bounce everywhere. Like, I made it a spectacle. And it was a trash solo. I mean, it was not good. Crowd went nuts. Why? Because it was a show. It was a show. We see this all the time. Like, really artsy movies that make you think, hey, they're not going to do as well as some movie where a bunch of stuff blows up and the good guys win. Really artsy music that makes you feel, it's going to do okay, but it's not going to do as well as In Sync or Backstreet. It's a dated reference by me. <laughs> I mean, you can look across the board at the NBA, and it's clear to see that what we like is the drama. What we like is the Netflix angle of it. What we like is the binge watch where this is going to be a you-know-what show. I don't know if it's going to be good or bad, but I know it's going to be chaos. That's what KD is now, right? That's what the Nets are now. Like, think about it. If I took the, the brand of Kevin Durant away from it and I told you, hey, do you want to watch a team where the best player has been out for 21 days and when he's really good, or 21 games, when he's really good, he is the best of the best. He's not. Uh, it won't be enough. He, he's just coming back from injury. Their second best player is only available for some games here and there. And their third best player may or may not even make it on the court. Is that going to be on TNT? Just that sales pitch? We put in that game on ESPN? No. 
But the minute I assign Kevin Durant's name to it, now, now we're talking. What are the Lakers? The Lakers are a bad roster with a superstar, generational, Hall of Fame, all-time great. Cool. Like, that, that's fine. But what's that getting them? The bottom of the seedings in the playoff conversation? Why do we talk about it so much? At least the Clippers we buried. Like, at least we finally decided that Kawhi and Paul George that was overhyped two years ago, you, you, you wake up one day and you realize, eh, it's the Clippers. And then they become what is worse than being bad in the NBA. They simply become irrelevant. Right? Once they become irrelevant, that's even worse than being bad. Like, if you're bad, at least people are talking about you. That whole at least negative attention is better than no attention at all. Like, that's where we are with the Nets. The Nets are, are, are you know, Kim and Kanye. You're just looking at it saying, I'm uncomfortable with all of this, and I don't know why I'm watching it, but at least it's that. But at least it's still relevant. When are we going to make good basketball relevant? The answer to that, the playoffs. Once we hit the playoffs, we'll be all in on some of these teams, the Bucks and the Bulls. We'll be all in on uh, the Cavs at that point if they're playing good basketball, right? We'll be all in on the Grizzlies in the playoffs. We'll be all in on that because then once we hit the playoffs, people start paying attention and they want to see decent basketball. That's when they want to see some, like, that's the sudden moment where you realize, wow, the plot line on this team over here is bad, and I don't want to watch it anymore. Like, I, I understand the infatuation with the future in the NBA. That's a big part of how the offseason's built. It's all about what's going to happen next. And before you've even finished the season we're in, we're already talking about what can the Lakers do next year. We're already talking about will Ben Simmons be healthy enough that next year can be different than the Nets. We are so consumed with superstars and the meaning that they have in the trash reality known as bad NBA teams this year that we're not even paying attention to the teams that are actually putting it together, to the teams that are actually playing consistent, solid basketball, and to the teams that actually have a chance at winning a championship. Maybe we should get ahead of those stories instead of looking at teams that have zero chance at winning it all when it's all said and done. All right, we've got Combine to get into. Coming up, how fast can you run in a straight line? These guys are going to make a lot of money doing it. We're going to tell you some of the big results from today across Indianapolis. Coming up next, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and, as always, on the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on your smart speakers. Jason Fitz flying solo. By the way, for all of you that don't know this, this uh, Rump Shaker is like 92. Pharrell Williams, one of the writers on this. There you go. The little music nugget you didn't know you needed. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance with insurance for cars, homes, boats, motorcycles, RVs, and commercial vehicles at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and Progressive.com. Now, you might be asking yourself, why are we coming back in with Rump Shaker? Well, because... Uh, the scouting combine's going on in Indianapolis, and uh, I've got a lot of love for the big boys, the offensive linemen particularly this year. So we're going to get some insight now from Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL draft analyst. You can follow him on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed, doing some of the best work we've got out there. Love what Jordan is up to. Now, Jordan, follow me here. I keep telling everybody, especially in this year's draft, it's better to be bored. Like, have a boring draft full of a bunch of guys you don't really know that much about. Draft an offensive lineman, because it feels like the big boys up front are stout this year. How does this offensive line class stand out when you watch them? Yeah, yeah, and this class is really talented at the top. It starts with Evan Neal, of course, from Alabama, Ikea Kwanu from NC State, and then also Charles Cross 
from Mississippi State. Those three are probably the top guys that are probably in contention to go inside of the top ten. But overall, this is it has a lot of depth to the class overall, more so an offensive tackle than interior guys. But I really like what this offensive tackle class and offensive line class as a whole has shown so far. How hard is it? Because offensive linemen, you know, and I I joke with everybody I've ever met that played the position. Like, most of us are just watching this, trying to figure out what we're looking at. But for teams, it's like your favorite flavor of ice cream. So what really separates some of these guys that are mid-first rounders versus the guys that are at the top to you? Well, first for the average fan, offensive line is always like the board or the boring pick in a sense. And I kind of compare it to the engine of the car in that you only notice it when something goes wrong with it. (laughs) <laughs> when you have to pop that hood up and something's wrong with the car. So that's the thing about offensive line that it's a position that you really need, especially with the game turning into such a passing league. And it's kind of hard to differentiate some of these guys. I will say that just because you have some teams that are zone scheme and then other teams that are man-based blocking scheme. So there's certain things you have to take into account when you're looking at some of these offensive linemen. Jordan, a lot of conversation about quarterbacks. That's always going to be the way. But when you start talking about Kenny Pickett and his hand side, I don't know if I care. I'll ask you this, though. Have you seen anything in Indy so far that's changed the way you view these quarterbacks and how they'll shake out? No. And the thing about Indianapolis and at the Combine is that you kind of use it to get intel, of course. You get a feel for guys' personality. You use it to disprove or approve of some of the things that you saw on tape or some of the things that you're hearing from people that you trust that are close to that potential prospect if you know some people in the building. So that's really what you should use at the combine for. And, of course, if you have some guys that may be in a tiebreaker on your draft board, you use some numbers or some data that you get to really break up those clusters. Who's your number one quarterback this year? Malik Willis. He's been my number one for going on about two months now. I just like the upside and the potential that's there with him. And I know he has some – bumps on the road during the back stretch of the year. He did not play well during the middle parts of the season. But what I have seen from him, I just like the upside, and I like where he could be a couple of years from now. Man, I love the thought of Malik getting to sit somewhere and learn for a couple of years before he plays. But if you put Malik Willis, the, the current version of Malik Willis, into last year's draft class, where would he rank with the quarterbacks? Like my, my, my thesis here is that the quarterback draft class is weaker than we realize because we're prisoners of the moment. So where would Malik have ranked in last year's class to you? He probably would have been behind Mac Jones. And I know Mac Jones was the last one selected in the first round last year, but he probably would have went somewhere outside of the top 15. I think Mac went 15 to the Patriots. So he probably would have went somewhere in that 15 to 25 range. I don't think he would have been with any of the quarterbacks that we saw a season ago. Yeah, that's what makes this all so difficult. Now, wide receiver every year at this point just feels like it's stacked. Every single year we're saying, this is a historic class. But we were all yeah. infatuated with how they ran yesterday. What stood out to you with them in the, in the 40s? Well, just how fast they were running. And at the time, everybody was going crazy over Chris Olave running the 4-2-6 and it ended up being a 4-3-9. We thought Taquan Thornton was going to end up breaking the combine record, but it ends up going from a 4-2-1 to a 4-2-8. But regardless, those are just phenomenal times. Anyway, but these guys were so fast. I think we had 12 guys run sub 4-3 in that range, so which is flying. We haven't seen that in a very long time. So these guys were burning it up on the turf, and this is a fast draft class overall. Now, I will say this about this draft class. I don't think we have that surefire bona fide guy like a Jamar Chase or a Daylon, uh, excuse me, a Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith. But I think there's some there's a lot of depth in this class, and there's some guys in the first round that can step in and be instant impact type of players.
We're talking to Jordan Reed, ESPN NFL Draft Analyst. Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. Stick there with the wide receivers for a second because to your point, you know, I, I never hide my fandom. We all know that, Jordan. Like, so as a Raiders fan, I'm looking here and I'm seeing the Raiders pick 22 and I see all these mocks where they take a wide receiver at 22. What I can't figure out is how you parse that out when you think about depth in class, right? Like, if you're talking about a wide receiver at the end of the first round versus a wide receiver that might be there in the second round, how much difference is there between that group in this class? There isn't much. And the crazy thing about wide receivers now is that you mentioned it when we first started the wide receiver segment is that I think five to ten years from now we're probably going to continue to have stacked wide receiver classes just because we're living in the era of seven-on-seven and that these kids are starting to play seven-on-seven in elementary and even middle school. So these wide receivers are getting so many more reps than what we were accustomed to a decade ago. So I think for the next eight to ten years we could continuously have those stacked wide receiver classes. So what could happen is that wide receivers essentially start to turn into running backs where you're a little bit hesitant to pay those guys just because you know every upcoming draft is going to be a depth field type of draft. And that's that's what's astonishing about the way the game continues to evolve. Now, in in the meantime, in Indy, who's really helped themselves that you didn't expect so far? Oh, that's a great question. Um, So one wide receiver, his name is Sky Moore. He's from Western Michigan. And he probably was a fourth or a fifth round guy coming to the event, but he ran 4.39 and then he caught everything. I mean, he literally caught everything yesterday, and he has quick twitch ability. He's able to catch balls outside the strike zone, and I was really impressed with what I saw from him. Then also Jahan Dotson from Penn State, who was starting to get some first-round buzz, and I think he's going to end up being probably a back end of the first-round type of player. I was really impressed with him. I mean, talk to me about Jahan for a second because, you know, I was lucky enough to cover college football all over the place this year. And I felt like every Saturday we could have just done a, a Dotson rip. Like the guy has that, that ability to just get up, up and away like he's Superman and climb over everybody. What, what is it about him that hasn't secured him as higher on the draft board for a lot of teams? It's just his size. He's a little bit undersized at right at 5'11". I think he came in at 183 pounds yesterday, so he's a little bit light. He really reminds me of Emmanuel Sanders, and we saw the type of career that he has had. I think he's probably going to end up being a high-end second wide receiver. I think it would be best if he goes to a team that already has a bona fide wide receiver one so he can be a complimentary piece. But I'm right there with you. I think he's sudden. I think he has, outside of Drake London, he has the best catch radius of any of the receivers in this class. Uh, Drake London is the ultimate what might have been. That injury is just it, – it's its brutal to think of the money it could have cost that kid. Like, that's all I think about in those situations. So, Jordan, when you think about this weekend in Indy, what are you still looking for? What's the, what's the thing that's left on your radar? Just the way guys move around and just getting to understand the personality of these guys. And we get podium sessions as the media. That's really our only time to interact with some of these players. So, if you have some questions about – some things that may have happened throughout the career, if they have red flags or if there are some durability concerns, or even if you're just trying to get to understand the person with their helmet off, uh, you have that opportunity here in Indianapolis, which is so special. That's what's so special about the combine and why I enjoy it so much. Yeah. How, how spicy are we eating the shrimp cocktail sauce, though, Jordan? Like, that's a real question. I mean, you can't be in Indy and not have shrimp cocktail sauce. So, like, how spicy are we going? Yeah. Like, we, 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 we going so, extra horseradish in that thing, or what are we doing? So, this is my second trip to Indy. I made the rookie mistake. The first time, we're just diving in and try to <laughs> engulf all of it. Yeah, and I ended up burning the roof of my mouth really, really bad. So, rookie mistake by me. I learned to really settle myself in and just go at a nice pace this time, and I really enjoyed it.
Yeah, that's the secret, because otherwise it's like being that person the first time you're eating sushi that doesn't re- realize you shouldn't eat the whole bowl of wasabi. That's what that, <laughs> that happens. Uh, follow him on Twitter, yeah. at Jordan underscore Reed. Jordan, you've been kicking butt with all of your work on the draft. I'm excited to see what else comes out before we get there. Man, thanks for hanging out with me. Absolutely. Thanks as always, Justin. And I'm just telling you all, like, if you haven't, the, the shrimp cocktail sauce in Indy is particularly just, I mean, it, it gets right up in those nostrils. I'm just saying it does, and if you're not ready for it, you can, uh, it, it, it's, it can haunt you. It can haunt you. So good on Jordan uh, for learning that. Speaking of Jordan, he just said something in his draft analysis that impacts every single team in the NFL, and it has to do with some big news that we heard today. I'll tell you what it was next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It wasn't that long ago that paying Amari Cooper a ton of money made a lot of sense for the Dallas Cowboys. And now, this morning, Adam Schefter reporting the Cowboys are likely to release him by the start of the new league year because he's due $20 million in fully guaranteed money on the fifth day of the new league year. That would be March 20th. And all of that leads to a very simple thing for everybody to remember when it comes to free agency and when it comes to the draft. In the modern world... I'm not sure it's worth it to pay a wide receiver. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and on your smart speakers, Jason Fitz hanging out with you flying solo tonight. Sarah getting some much-deserved rest and relaxation. And look, I just asked Jordan Reed about the wide receiver classes, not just this year, but the last couple of years. I've been lucky to cover the draft uh, for, I think, four straight years for ESPN on our digital platforms. Last year, 10 million people watched that thing. And, you know, I'm proud of the work we do, but every year I sit there and tell people, oh, this is the best draft class in history. Well, how many years in a row can you say that before you realize that what we're seeing is a trend in wide receivers being able to come in and make an impact? And that's something that Jordan Reed just referenced with us, our ESPN NFL draft analyst, a couple of minutes ago when he said this. The crazy thing about wide receivers now is that you mentioned it when we first started the wide receiver segment is that I think five to ten years from now, we're probably going to continue to have stacked wide receiver classes just because we're living in the era of, seven on seven and that these kids are starting to play seven on seven in elementary and even middle school. So these wide receivers are getting so many more reps than what we were accustomed to a decade ago. So I think for the next eight to 10 years, we could continuously have the stacked wide receiver classes. So what could happen is that wide receivers essentially start to turn into running backs where you're a little bit hesitant to pay those guys just because you know, every upcoming draft is going to be a depth field type of draft. And that's an important thing to remember right now because every team, including my beloved Raiders, seems to have their eyes set squarely on Devontae Adams. I understand why the possible free agent opportunity that comes from having one of the best in the league, there will always be exceptions to rules. Sometimes, even if you're not supposed to pay a running back, they're so good, you're going to have a Derrick Henry that everybody says, don't pay him. And then all of a sudden the Titans do and everybody says, of course you paid him. Like, that's going to happen. And Devontae is right in that, that list of guys that are so special that maybe they're exceptions. But the actual rule to me says don't pay wide receivers. Why? Well, as Jordan just mentioned, uh, you've got better playmakers, faster. But also you have to look at the change in the way offenses have been run in the NFL. When you start thinking about the way offenses are run in the NFL, then you can look across the board and say, hey, we're getting young, we're getting young quarterbacks on the field faster than ever to be effective, right? When you get young quarterbacks on the field faster than ever because you need them to be effective right away because of their rookie deals, who does that benefit? How about the people that play in college offenses with them that are wide receivers? 
to me, the benefit of getting a young quarterback on the field is that you're simplifying concepts in a way that they can be successful more quickly because you're using more college concepts. That also is going to benefit wide receivers. And the fact is, this isn't a new concept for don't pay wide receivers. You can look across the board at the guys that got paid last year. Highest paid wide receivers weren't killing it. Julio Jones was supposed to be the difference maker for the Titans. How'd that work out? Like, I love Hopkins. It's worth $27.25 million. In fact, what I love every single year is when people tell me incorrectly that you can't pay your quarterback and win. Again, that is factually incorrect. Factually incorrect. Of the last 20 quarterbacks that have started in a Super Bowl, or I should say over the last 10 years of Super Bowls, that would mean 20 starters. Not all different, but 20 different starters in that. Uh, 10 of them accounted for more than 10% of their salary cap. 10 of them counted for less. In fact, if you look at uh, rookie quarterbacks versus non-rookie quarterbacks, there's no proof that you have to have a quarterback on his rookie deal to win a Super Bowl. I say this every year. But in fact, let's go one step further. I did the numbers before last year. No player outside of Rob Gronkowski has been the highest paid player at his position and won a Super Bowl. Think about that. Over the last 10 years, nobody that's been the highest paid at their position has gotten that fat ring other than Gronk. So having the highest paid wide receiver, not going to win. Having the highest paid safety, not going to win. Having the highest paid linebacker, not going to win. So what do you do now? I mean, certainly, if you're looking at Hopkins, Julio, you're looking at Coop, you're talking about a bunch of guys that are taking Allen, Keenan Allen, $20 million? You're talking about a lot of guys that are taking a ton of money. And now everybody's looking around and saying, hmm, okay. Like value added. One of the things I just asked Jordan about was wins above replacement. Essentially value added of a wide receiver at the end of the first round versus a wide receiver in the middle of the second round. I don't think there's a huge difference. So if there's not a huge difference between the value added in the first round at the end versus the value added in the middle of the second round, and you understand that right now you can get a wide receiver in the second round that will help you, What's the incentive to turning around and paying a ton of, mon- ton of money to wide receivers? You've got to look at the draft as a process of adding value at particular positions. And remember that the teams that draft well seem to win consistently. And then you've got to ask yourself, okay, what proof is there that I need to sign a wide receiver? And what proof is there that I need to draft a wide receiver incredibly high? Now, yes, it can always take a little bit of time, but Jamar Chase last year was in the draft, right? So obviously, looking at like a quarterback situation, if you're the Bengals, you you were able to hit a home run. We'll see about Waddle and Smith coming up to that same level. But go the year before that. Henry Ruggs, obviously bigger things than football, have impacted his career. But Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, these are all guys that have been able to come in, make impact. T. Higgins has been able to come in and make impact. Go the year before that. Debo Samuel. Picked in the second round of the draft. A.J. Brown picked in the second round of the draft. D.K. Metcalf picked in the second round of the draft. Calvin Ridley. I could just keep going on and on with people that have been late first round or second round picks that have made impact in the draft over the last several years at wide receiver, and the classes are only getting better. So if you know that more talent's coming in and you know that more cheap talent is coming in, 
Why would you not start to churn and burn that position? It doesn't feel good to say that as a human being. Like, it doesn't feel good as a person to say that the right strategy is to draft your running back, run him into the ground, and not give him another deal. Like, that just stinks. But that's the, that's the, the beast that you're up against. You know, that's the beast that you're up against. And you got to ask yourself, if you're going to sign Devontae Adams to what some reports have said he wants, $30 million a year. You're going to sign Devontae Adams to $25 million a year. For what? What's your expected return on that investment? How much better will Devontae Adams make you than any other wide receiver would make you that make it worth spending that much money on that position versus what you could spend elsewhere? It's an analytics approach to a position that we're in love with. Uh, look, as a Raiders fan, you want to tell me I wouldn't be hype for the concept of Derek Carr throwing the ball to Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, and Devontae Adams? I'm not stupid. Do you think that suddenly I wouldn't just be doing cartwheels and if the Raiders signed Devontae Adams to a massive deal, am I going to turn around and tell everybody it was worth it? Hell yes, I am. Because I wear my fandom on my sleeve. But would it be right for everybody else to, to chuckle a little bit and say, cool, what are you doing about that secondary? What are you doing with the interior of the defensive line on that team? Do you have enough linebackers? What's your plan at safety specifically? What are you going to do at corner when you don't have a healthy one and you may not get Casey Hayward back? Like, those are real questions that come from the decision, not to mention who's blocking for all these people. Like, those are the decisions you're making. Now, obviously, there's risk at every position in the draft. You can be the biggest fan of, the, of your favorite team in the world and realize that there's certain positions your team doesn't scout well. Like, the concept that the Bengals are suddenly going to get it right at offensive line forgives the concept that they've been trying over and over and over again in the draft, and they just can't do it, right? So it's not as simple as, draft a wide receiver and you'll be okay it's as simple as do your homework scout well and nail the draft at wide receiver and you're going to be just fine that's a big difference espn radio presented by progressive insurance at progressive they're making things even easier they'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both learn more at progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE how many times have we looked at the Steelers and said oh my god what are how do they find them and then how many times do we look at the Giants and say, why can't they find him? How many years did we, frankly, at, at living in Nashville, there was a reputation for a generation, the Titans couldn't find anybody. You got to get it right. But if you get it right, you don't need to pay your receiver. Coming up, it's the greatest rivalry in all of sports. It takes center stage this weekend for special reasons. There are certain nights in sports that you know you'll tell your kids about where you were when it happened, every intimate detail they can remember about the game itself. That's what we're going to get tomorrow night with Coach K's final regular season game. Not only his final regular season game, but the fact that it ends with one of the best rivalries in all of sports. It ends in an impactful way that everybody wants to be a part of. The question is, what's it mean for the future, not just to Duke, but also for college basketball. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, and your smart speakers. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we're going to get right to some straight talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. I love the fact that this is going to end with Duke, North Carolina, at Cameron. I was uh, lucky enough a couple of years ago, Zion's uh, shoe explosion game, uh, to go to that game. Michael Oleg Jr. and I were covering it together, and uh, we were at Cameron, and – there's something about being in that arena 
that is electric. And again, I've never hidden my lack of like for anything Duke basketball related, but I stood in there and because of the way it's built, because of the shape, because of the proximity, because of how on top of each other everybody is, the energy is palpable and it just sort of feeds on top of every single person. And that energy is going to be through the roof. It was going to be anyway. I mean, they could be playing Central Connecticut and it would still be on fire for that game. But the fact that they're playing their biggest rival, the fact that we're getting Duke, North Carolina for the last regular season time with Coach K, that's special. Don't ask me or don't believe me. Just ask Bobby Hurley, Arizona State head coach, but former Duke point guard on Barton Hahn. This is what he said about this final game. There's an enormous amount of pressure that, that you feel just because of you know how tense the rivalry is, how many great players played in it, how much it means to the community and You'll see our, you know, our students are camping out for like two weeks. So every day you're going to practice and you're seeing, you know, your friends and your students out there in the tent. So it just takes that game to such a different, you know, different level. So, you know, it's it's fitting that this would be coaches, you know, last last battle here in the regular season that they uh, that Duke faces North Carolina. That's, uh, again, Bobby Hurley from Barton Hahn. You can check that out weekdays on ESPN Radio from noon to 3 p.m. Eastern. This is Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz flying solo. And when you start thinking about what he just talked about, all I can think about are there are just there are a few t- times in sports, there are a few games that you know, no matter what, you're going to sit down and watch it. And I'm not talking about the diehards. The diehards will watch anything. All right, But if you're a casual fan and you know Yankees, Red Sox are on, you're more likely to at least keep an eye on it. I don't even like baseball, right? But Yankees, Red Sox, yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on that. Duke, North Carolina, it doesn't matter if you're a college basketball fan. If you know that's coming on, you're going to watch it. There are certain brands in football when they play each other. Like, if you're not a football fan but you see Packers, Bears, you're going to tune into that. It just it hits different. Giants, Cowboys, like there's certain rivalries that just resonate. No matter what your favorite sport is, you'll stop and you'll watch. That's been Duke, North Carolina. And it has been for a generation. But the question is, will it continue to be? Because what hits me through all of this is that Coach K is not just the face of Duke. I think he's the face of college basketball. Yeah, there are legendary coaches out there. Sure. You know, you can see your Tom Izzo's and say, okay, his own. Like, you can do that. But it doesn't resonate the same way to every casual walking around. And that's important for college sports. When you talk about the college football landscape – Who do you think of when you think of college football? You don't think of the starting quarterbacks. You don't think of the Heisman Trophy candidates. If I asked most of you casually right now to tell me who the top three Heisman candidates are going to be for next season, how many of you even know? You don't. But how many of you that casually watch college football know Nick Saban? No Dabo. No Harbaugh. It's about the brands. And it's about the people that represent those brands as the front porch to their university. That's what coaches are. It's what Coach K has been for Duke, for Team USA basketball. I mean, you think Coach K, and it just immediately resonates with people. And now? Now who? Because there's got to be somebody. College basketball becomes tougher and tougher for a lot of people to identify with because uh, there's more changeover on roster. There's more teams. I, I, I mean, I think we can be real about that. Like, it, it's fair to say, if, if for me, as an analyst and host covering college football, if I have to cover college football, I know coming into the year that there's a handful of teams that you really have to keep a close eye on. This year, my God, in college basketball, 
Good luck keeping up. Like the Big Ten alone? Like we live in a world where, again, Michigan State can beat Purdue and they're number four, and then a couple of days later just get blown out by Ohio State and look like they don't even belong. Like we can live in a world where Rutgers beats ranked teams and loses to nobodies. We can live in a world where, frankly, most people don't even know who the top players in college basketball are. But you know Coach K, and that's what you have to have. Because coaches stay there for long enough that they become the rock stars. Coaches are the rolling stones of, of, of any uh, college sport. So, again, when you're looking at it, it doesn't matter if Lane Kiffin wins a bunch of games. It matters if Lane Kiffin is a big conversation piece. And now you start looking across the board and you look at the ACC. Who's the identifiable brand that's going to keep everything going? Beheim? I, you got to think he's one foot out the door at Syracuse eventually anyway. There's a, there's a new generation that's got to be rising. But who is the next person? Who is the next person that becomes the billboard, the face, the person we advertise on ESPN, the person that you see on March Madness and you're like, oh, yeah, love that guy. I don't know who it is. And that's the biggest thing that college basketball is going to have to answer. I don't think that the Jay Wrights of the world are going to resonate in a way today. And what's it going to take to make that happen? Bill Self. It's going to take storytelling. And that's something Sarah talks about all the time on this show that I think is really smart and I've learned from. I'm the first to admit that I have openly learned from Sarah Spain on this show about one of the major failings in women's sports, which is we don't cover the stories enough to get people invested in them. And when I started thinking about that, all I kept thinking about were some of the ancillary sports that I love. Like, I love hockey. I'm a hockey guy. But are we telling great stories constantly about guys that most people have never heard of on these rosters? No. And because of that, it just doesn't hit home the same way. By the time we got to the Super Bowl, admit it, like your great-grandma knew a story about Joe Burrow by the time we got to the Super Bowl, right? Who's going to be that person for college basketball? Who's going to be the person that will absolutely vault the sport for the next generation? Who's going to be the person that can represent a brand, that can represent the athletes? Who's going to be the person that everybody will gravitate to, to look to for guidance, to look to to be the steady hand for the sport, to be the voice of reason for the sport, to be the voice of reason for the sport for the nation? Because that's what Coach K has been. You can love or hate Duke basketball. I am living proof of that. But you still got to step back and respect Krzyzewski. And you can love or hate anything around the sport and understand that if you are passionate about college basketball, you are in the minority right now. And the only way to grow that minority into a bigger number are to have great characters that people want to invest in. And through all of it that we'll see on Saturday, as much as we remember the past and as much as we embrace the present, we've also got to be concerned about the future because college basketball needs an answer there and they need that answer fast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. All right, Lamar Jackson sat down with LeBron James today, and you will not believe what they said. We'll play it for you next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Uh, by the way, that was some straight talk, straight talk, wireless, no contract, no compromise. Lamar and LeBron next. Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio.
Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, and your smart speakers. Jason Fitz flying solo. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. A little Prince love for you from the Batman soundtrack. Uh, in case, I'm giving you all sorts of music nuggets you didn't know that you needed. Uh, but if you uh, go back and listen uh, in the mid-90s, Prince did the entire soundtrack to a Batman movie. A uh, total classic and a cool moment for him. Doing that a little in honor of the Batman coming out uh, today, uh, this weekend, I should say. So reviews seem to be incredibly positive on it. I'm not the right guy to ask about the Batman, though. I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I love Batman movies, but I'm also willing to admit my own hypocrisy because, like, the whole reason I'm out on Spider-Man is I feel like there's been 27 of them. I don't know which one's which. I get very confused. I don't watch a lot of these movies. But then I'll openly admit that I've been okay with the fact that there have also been 342 different Batman. Like, don't look that up. That's a basic fact. Uh, but I, I, I'm, I'm open to admitting that I am uh, part of the problem there. So, uh, but still psyched to see it. I will go see it. Uh, also, you guys can uh, tweet me, at Jason Fitz. I've asked you in honor of Coach K and everything that's going to be happening this weekend. If you haven't seen the ticket prices, astronomical. So uh, I went out there and asked everybody to chime in with those. Uh, what's the one sports moment not tied to your favorite team and a championship you'd pay whatever it takes to see in person? I've had some great answers about a World Cup final, uh, some great answers about Tiger and his last Masters. A lot of people in on the Masters. Uh, McGuire setting the home run record. So, you know, Peter going back in time, the 1980 U.S. hockey team beating Russia. Also reminded that those are well-thought-out answers. If I was going back in time, it'd definitely be the WrestleMania where, you know, Randy Macho Man Savage uh, won the round-robin tournament to become the uh, WWF champion. Like, that. that's uh, that's how stupid I am. Uh, in the meantime, Spain and Fitz, Jason Fitz, uh, I, I want everybody to hear important stuff that came out today from Lamar Jackson. And we've got all eyes on Lamar. Remember, he's in a situation now where he needs a new contract. Are the Ravens going to give it to him? Are they going to make him just incredibly well play, paid? They should. I think this is a given. In fact, to be fully transparent, as we were making our list yesterday of which teams have a certainty at their quarterback position, I said that the Lamar Jackson and the Ravens had to be on that list. And producer Devin, uh, Devin Kane, producer extraordinaire, uh, uh, Devin and I got into it. He thought I was totally wrong because there is a contract uh, situation. And I said, no, there isn't. They will get it done. Well, they haven't gotten it done yet. It's only been a day. But that means that every time we hear from Lamar, people will pay attention. And that's why this is important. This is Lamar Jackson, the Ravens quarterback, uh, on the LeBron James YouTube show called The Shop. Check out what he said. There's a lot of history with them not wanting black guys to play quarterback. In football? Yeah. Tons of history. It started with... Or they can't think quick enough. This, this, like, this is going way back, 70s, 80s. And it's still, it's dying off. Every day, y'all give me more reasons. To it's dying off, but it's still there. It's still there. That's why I need that championship. That's why I need that championship. I mean, Lamar's saying it's still there. That's why I need that championship. Like, that, that hits. Think about that, because a lot of us speak for what we think culture's like in the NFL. And I'm the first to admit uh, my, my progress and my thinking, uh, the way that I've evolved and how I think about certain portions of this and the change in my own mindset on it. I have long been somebody that wanted to believe that players are given the opportunity to play based in some level uh, on the meritocracy of their work. So the thought that you go out and you earn it. And I've always said as a Raiders fan, you know what? My favorite team would never care what you look like. They only care if you can win them football games. That That is what has always tried to make sense in my mind. And I think the more that we've seen over the last several years, the more that you realize that it's never that simple. Things aren't that simple. And when you hear Lamar Jackson saying on the shop, 
that he's got to go win that championship because the stigma is still there. That tells you something about the pressure cooker. That tells you something about what we don't see behind the scenes. And it tells you something about what players feel in a very real way about what it's like to be in the NFL. Lamar Jackson has won a damn MVP award. Think about that. He has won an MVP. He has stood at the top of the mountain as the best player in the NFL. And still we go into this contract situation and we say, oh, does he need an agent? Oh, somebody's got to negotiate this for him, right? They're going to job him over. Really? I mean, is that where we are? You want to tell me that you could have an MVP caliber quarterback that has managed to do everything you could possibly ask him to do, and that's the conversation? And don't talk to me about shortcomings in Lamar Jackson's game. I don't want to hear it. Because let's be real. There have been a million shortcomings in Josh Allen's game, right, with the Bills. And what did the Bills do? The Bills stepped back and said, "Up, oh, don't give a damn what you think. I do not care what you think of Josh Allen, the player. We believe in his ability to develop, and we are going to do that. And they did it with patience. They listened to nobody. They stepped back and they said, you know what? We are going to figure this out. And they did. And in the process, they fell in love with the quarterback. The quarterback fell in love with him. The city fell in love with everybody along the way. Why are we not seeing that here? Maybe we are. Maybe I'm overcomplicating it. Maybe people behind the scenes in, in Baltimore will tell me that everything's rosy. Contracts get themselves worked out. You start thinking about the number of times we found stupid reasons to question Lamar Jackson, and then you hear him say that. You hear him say the stigma is still there. And if the stigma is still there, my God, what's it take to fix it? And what does it mean for the future? Like, if, if young players are still battling this, what's it mean for Malik Willis, the Liberty quarterback that's out at the Combine right now that, that Mina Kimes said with me the other day might be the most interesting prospect because he has the highest ceiling but potentially the lowest floor. So you're looking at it from a smart football mind and you're saying, oh, my God, okay, well, well what do we have here? Now you want to add a stigma to that? I'd love to tell you there isn't a stigma, but my God, we have proof positive. Look at Lamar Jackson. Led the league with 36 touchdown passes in 2019. 2019. 36. Look at his completion percentage. That's the thing that we say can't be fixed, right? Everybody says, uh, if you're inaccurate, you're inaccurate. Well, that's, at this point, frankly, a stupid narrative. Josh Allen has proven that otherwise, right? Look at Lamar, 58% in his first year, 66% in his second year, 64 the last two. What else do you need to see? And why would the stigma exist? Why would somebody in the league right now that's at the top of his game feel this? Man, I just keep thinking about Malik, and I keep thinking about an athletic black quarterback and the fact that every time he runs the football, somebody could use that as a reason why he's not capable of playing the quarterback position. And I don't know. I, I, to be fair, I've been really tough on this year's draft class. I have been just consistent for six months on this draft class. I've been consistent on the fact that I would not risk the future of my franchise at the quarterback position at all. I'm not going to change that now because I feel bad for whatever this situation might be that could surround Malik Willis. But let's be real about it. If Lamar Jackson feels the stigma, what's it mean for everybody else? And what's it going to take to end it? 
What's it going to take for everybody to step back and just say, hey, best player wins? What's it going to take for everybody to step back and say, I don't really care what you look like. I don't care what your style is. I question, can you play football for my team at the highest level? Like Lamar Jackson is not just a great player. Lamar Jackson's your billboard. Talk about that all the time. Like one of the pillars I believe is that NFL teams need billboards that can be the advertisement for who they are culturally, for what they stand for, and for season ticket sales. The person that everybody wants to get fired up around being around. Got to have that guy. Lamar Jackson's that guy in every possible way. And for Lamar Jackson to sit on the shop and say that that stigma still exists, that he's got to win a Super Bowl for that stigma to end, man, that tells you how much work is there is left to do in the NFL. And I know we all know that. I know that everybody can sit here and talk about the work that needs to be done. But for anybody that says that it isn't real, listen to the guys that are in the locker room. Because if this stigma still exists after everything that's happened right now, winning one Super Bowl won't be enough. People will find a reason to fault that too. It's an impossible standard that Lamar Jackson's being held to. And realistically, we got to step back and accept the fact that every team will be lucky to have somebody with the skill set that he has. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Coming up, we talked about it earlier, but we need to change how we talk about the NBA and the narratives that surround the support, the sport, I should say. So I'm going to talk to one of my favorite experts and see what we can figure out about all of it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, your smart speakers. Jason Fitz flying solo on this beautiful Friday edition of the show. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. You know, I, I keep thinking about the stories and the way we cover the NBA. And, you know, I've been talking about that a lot this week with the regular season and what it matters and what matters, I should say. And, and I, I want to get some insight on this. So we're joined now by ESPN NBA reporter George Sedano. You can check him out on 710 ESPN LA. Obviously, follow him on Twitter, at Sedano. Always love your insight, George. So I, I need you to make me smarter here because I feel like all we talk about are teams that stink, like, I don't know, the Lakers and the Nets, and we f- refuse to talk about the teams that are actually good, like, I don't know, the Heat. So what's it going to take for us to change that and have conversations about good teams instead of bad ones? Probably for LeBron to shut it down is my guess. If that happens, then I think there's no reason to discuss the Lakers at that point. But I think because we've never seen LeBron James play on a team like this since his, well, since he's been a guy who's been in the playoffs every year, which goes back his second to his second season. That's how far back you have to go. You have to go back to that uh, 04, 05 season where this was as bad as it's been. And that's a long time now, man. It's almost 20 years, basically. So I think that because of that, I think that changes the dynamics when arguably one of the greatest players of all time is finding himself seven, eight games under 500 on one of the glamour teams in the league. That's going to be the thing. But I'll tell you this. I am I mean, I talk about it every day, and I found myself in a position where I'm just bored talking about them in a lot of ways. And I don't mean that in a demeaning way. It's just how many other ways can I say they're not good? (laughs) So I think that 
that I think that's the challenge. And meanwhile, you're right. The Heat, well, here's the thing. The Heat are not a glamour team. They were, they have been at different times of their existence, but they are not at the moment. They are, they're very Spursian, as I'd like to say, where they're kind of flying under the radar. It's about the sum of the parts and they don't have an MVP candidate or a former MVP on their roster, or perhaps even a future MVP on their roster, like a Joel Embiid. Uh, So I think that they just kind of are on the back burner, but they like it that way specifically that group, like they just don't care about the fanfare. Well, and and there's this part of society that feels like, as I said earlier tonight, like it's almost like Netflix binge watching trash TV is where we are with the NBA sometimes because the personalities are so much of what sells the game, right? Like, so we love talking about KD more than we like talking about anything that, that might have to do with, let's say a team like the Grizzlies that for a long time were under the radar and now aren't. So in, in your mind, when you go into the playoffs, like how, what's the best way for everybody to separate the drama from the actual good basketball there is to be seen? Just watch it. <laughs> it stands <laughs> out fairly quickly, I believe. If, I, I think the NBA is in a better position now than they've been in a really long time in regards to the great young talent that the league has. Or, the, or and or, I would say, the great stewardship some of these franchises and you know we were just talking about Miami the, everyone kind of rolls when you hear about oh heat culture blah 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 this that and the other really what that just means is stability <laughs> it's that Pat Riley has been there for 27 years that Eric Spolstra in one way shape or form has been there for 27 years and most of the people there have been there in some capacity in in, in for 20 some odd years so I think that if you watch the games, you can't tell me you didn't watch Heat Bucks the other night. And I understand the Bucks are the defending champion. And they have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's one of the greatest players on the planet right now. But they're not a glamour team, despite being the champions. But if you watch that game, that was as good an NBA game as we've had all season. So that's why I say just watch. When you watched Memphis and Boston the other night, despite John not winning the game, I thought John actually played poorly despite scoring 38 which is kind of crazy to say, but I I just know what his ceiling is now or what his perceived ceiling is, at least this particular season. But that was a great game. And I'm just saying that. Just just watch the games. If you watch the games and you like sports, you'll figure out fairly quickly which teams are really good despite the narrative or not. Well, and and you're totally right, by the way. George Sedano joining us on Spain and Fitz. You start looking at the young talent around the league, and one of the reasons that it is fun to watch is it feels like that young talent is really spread out. Like, there's a lot of young talent, and they're playing on a lot of different teams. In in your mind, over the course of the next few years, uh, does that continue to be the trend? Like, are we seeing an influx of talent that is just better than we've seen in the past? Yes. I think that much like the quarterback position, let's say, in the NFL, the reason guys are so good so quickly is because of the evolution of the sport at the lower levels where for years we used to talk about sitting guys for two, three years. And it was commonplace at the quarterback position. We now have kids playing all year round, seven on seven, whatever the case may be. Same thing with basketball, AAU basketball for all that is lamented about it, Jason, it allows kids to play basketball pretty much year round and play at a very high level. And in, AAU's case, and I'm not saying AAU doesn't have its its faults. (laughs) I'm totally telling you it does. But in regards to just the competition of it, once the kids are playing between the white lines, 
it's incredible basketball. And it, it, it's basically iron sharpening iron. So that's why these young kids are able to come into the league or more of them are able to come into the league and have instant success or have success fairly quickly. So I think that's a part of it. And I think because of that, scouting has become more uh, significant. I think it's become something that has become more intricate. And lo and behold, here's what we have. And it kind of goes back to what I was mentioning about the stewardship of the franchises, where that's gotten better. Scouts have become more intense uh, in regards to how they, they look at prospects and, and even when they start looking at prospects as far as how, how young they are. So I think all of that plays a role and it all just kind of trickles down uh, backwards, basically, to the youth leagues. So that, that's, to me, the answer to that. Yeah, this is this has turned into like this deep meta interview. Like usually we're just sitting here saying, "Hey, who's really good this year, George?" But I, the, I, this triggers a thought for me because, as you mentioned, the young talent and the change in you know in, in scouting and the way the, the game is built. I keep thinking about something we've talked about tonight, which is, you know, what's the future of college basketball look like without an identity like Shashevsky? This all of this young talent has not translated to a growth in interest in college basketball. Why? Just because there's just not the consistency, I would say. If you look at AAU teams, they're going to play AAU ball for a couple of years while they're in high school. <laughs> they at least have that. Whereas, generally not the case with college basketball. Most of the best talent is in and out in six months, basically. <laughs> and, and I think that's, that's the reality of it. Now, it's made the game more interesting in this regard I think the playing field is way more level than it's ever been in college basketball, which is why we had seven top 10 teams lose this past weekend and then three more a couple days later. And, and that's why you have all this parody. But, you know, I look at parody as a strength. I don't look at it as a weakness. I think that there are some that feel like there needs to be dynasties and that's what sells. And I'm not saying it doesn't, but the NFL has made itself – because everyone, no matter how ridiculous it may seem at the beginning of the season, feels like they've got a shot at least. Now, obviously, as the weeks go by, we start to see the haves from the have-nots. But to your point earlier about whether it was college basketball or even the NBA, I think you have to go through those growing pains, though. You have to go through a ton of growing pains before – you get to that level where everybody feels like it's equitable and there's a real legitimate shot. And again, even in the NFL, there are still probably a handful of teams where you're like, no chance. But occasionally one of those surprises you too and makes the playoffs. So I think to get to that level, you have to go through these growing pains of having these smaller markets, particularly in, bas in the NBA, uh, grow with these young stars and you have to market, market them as such. And I think that this year, particularly, as you mentioned, the Memphis Grizzlies, I think whether it's us at ESPN or TNT or the NBA as a whole has realized John Moran is a superstar. And yeah, he plays in Memphis, which is, I don't know, like one of the top 60 market in the country, not like a huge market, but they're fun. He's fun. They're interesting. He's interesting. And he's got the exact personality you would want for a superstar. You can kind of just see he's got it right away and they honed in on him very quickly and I think that that's good um you know the the days and age of the Spurs where they were the worst team to watch and the lowest rated finals and all that 
Um, you know, it's funny because over time, they were no longer the worst-rated finals because people got used to them being there. And even though they weren't flashy, at least the numbers got better. So I, I just think it's that. I just think it's consistency. And, and us as media partners, obviously, making it feel like it's equitable, too. I think the coverage needs to be equitable. So to finish off your point about college basketball, I, I think that's kind of where we're at there, too, where the quote-unquote blue bloods, yeah, they're there, but they're more vulnerable than they've ever been. This has been the deepest conversation for a Friday NBA hit in history. George, you, as always, you have all the it factor we could ever ask for, my friend. I appreciate you hanging out. We'll, we'll wait till next time when Sarah's back and you can tell her why the Bulls are going to win it all, and then all will be right with the world, my friend. Thanks for hanging oh, out with me. She, she's not going to hear that from me. I've been saying <laughs> the Bulls are uh, – are a great little regular season story, but they are not a playoff team. We can do that the next time for sure. Uh, sorry that I went so meta and existential on you, but I still feel like it was an interesting conversation, and that's because you do such a great job of asking great questions. So thank oh, you for having me on. I'm just going to say it out loud. Sarah never needs to hear any of that. Like, don't rat me out, y'all. Like, that's all I'm asking. Don't rat me out. Whatever he just said about the Bulls, he said. So put that on Sedano. Don't put that on me. That's all I'm asking. Uh, I, I'm not a stupid man. So Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. And, and I love everything that uh, Sedano just said. I like having these deep conversations. There's a place and time for all of it. But, of course, the NBA is on ESPN Radio. Tune in Sunday. The Bucks host the Sun present, Suns, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 3 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. That's a game that's actually worth hyping. Coming up, we talked about it earlier. We need to, we're going to get into a little would you rather. We're going to give you like some scenarios. We're going to figure out what we prefer all across the board. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. It's Friday, and this is Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Oh, I can feel all of the good good that's coming with the weekend that's about to start. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. I'm Jason Fitz, flying solo tonight. We're going to have a little bit of fun, all right? Uh, and I know, like, it's a night full of fun. Uh, obviously, Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up next. You don't want to miss them. Always a great time. But uh, we're going to have some fun tonight as we get ready for, uh, let, let's say, a little game of Would You Rather. We're going to play out some scenarios and uh, Chris producer extraordinaire going to come on Chris you're going to lay out some scenarios and uh, I'll give you a would you rather on it right that are, are we ready are you feeling this you got you got the energy are you ready to bring the funk well now that I'm here in sabotage yeah I'm absolutely ready for this this is going to be it's some amazing fun. how that makes me just want to like just crush some sort of alcohol I haven't had since I was in my 20s uh, I can't say I can relate to that one but let, let's sure let's stay on that one here so, Fitz, I'm going to hit you with a couple of things. We talked about a lot of different things today, right? We've, the biggest story has to be Coach K. And if you haven't already heard, uh, tickets are rather expensive to get the best seats for that game. So, um, would you rather have a brand new 2023 Land Rover Discovery Sport or the best seats money can buy for Coach K's final home game? Oh, I'm taking the car all day long. Like, A... You know, again, like if I'm sitting right there with Coach K, I, I don't know if I can keep a smile on my face because, you know, I still remember UNLV losing that Final Four game. More importantly, I, I don't want a car payment. So if, if Land Rover wants to give me a 2023 Land Rover Discovery Sport, 
I mean, I'm all in for that. I, I, why that car, Chris? That's a real question. Like, is that a car you covet? Because I would have gone with, like, the, the, the new Bronco that's so hard to get or something. Like, But you went Land Rover. So the reason why is I just was trying to think of something that was a little bit more, you know, a little more luxury car brand there. The reason why is that's actually pretty comparable to what some of the most expensive tickets from this game are going for. It's about Sweet the same. Baby Jesus. It's about the same cost. The Land Rover cost around 44k. The highest that I saw, according to our ESPN story earlier, that was on ESPN.com, was fifty thousand uh, dollars. You know what, Coach K and all of his legacy, not worth fifty k to watch it. Nope, I'm out on that one. Uh, Cheapest yeah. tickets are around three thousand for what it's worth. Uh, that's like at the price of a Super Bowl ticket. What are we doing? Yeah, the, like, this was this was a more expensive event to get into than the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, I don't know how I feel. And that was that. in like, L.A. If if the would you rather is the Super Bowl or Coach K's last game, I'm still going Super. Are you? Uh, uh, am I crazy? Like, let's pull the room here. You're going Super Bowl over Coach K, right? I yes, I, I'm a huge football fan, so yes, I have been to one Super Bowl in my life. It was a horrendous game, Broncos Seahawks. The Seahawks. Oh, I was at that one too. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Fan, fan, yeah, really fun game in New Jersey. So I got a chance to go to that one. A lot of fun. Really not a great game. Bruno Mars, though, as we heard on the way in, great halftime show. Oh, God, that was an electric halftime show, an, an all-time great halftime show, in my opinion, mostly because, again, I, like, I don't, I actually didn't know how that one played on TV, but I know that uh, in the stadium, that one was absolutely electric. Okay, what do you got next? Sure, so I want to ask you now, we talked a lot with, uh, we talked with Jordan Reed earlier, we had a chance to chat about some of the top prospects in this upcoming draft. Would you rather have your favorite team start Carson Wentz or whoever you say the top quarterback prospect is in the 2022 NFL draft. Oh my god, that is you have you have tied my hands here because I have squarely been saying I wouldn't touch anybody in this year's NFL draft, but I wouldn't touch Carson Wentz either. I Oh, at least like look, I I, I my constant analogy on the quarterbacks in this year's draft is it's like a scratch off lottery ticket. Maybe you win, but you probably don't. Like, very few people are actually paying their mortgage with the scratch-off lottery ticket. But I know that Carson Wentz, when I scratch that ticket, I know that's a losing ticket. So, I think Carson Wentz is bad enough that I'm rolling the dice. I, I, I'm sorry, Orlovsky. I think I'm, I'm rolling the dice, and I'm, I'm going into the draft. I'd rather, I'd rather suffer through Malik Willis and hope that by year two or three he's good than suffer through Carson Wentz and realize I have no hope and no solution. Wow. That is – the, the mighty have fallen. Re- yeah, I mean Carson Wentz just took a stray. He did not expect through all of that. So I, no. I, I apologize, Carson. That's but, that's know, fair though. That's why I asked the question though, because that's yeah. that's. I mean, I could have thrown Jimmy G in there too, but that's the question that a lot of NFL teams have to ask themselves this offseason. I, I, I will throw tell Mitch Trubisky in there. You, you didn't ask me this, but if I had to take Derek as a lifelong diehard Raiders fan, if I had to take Derek Carr for the next two years at forty million a year versus any of the quarterbacks in this year's draft or Carson Wentz or Mitchell Trubisky, I'm paying that forty million and I'm not even thinking about it. That's how bad wow. I think most of those options are. That, you know what? I don't know that I disagree with you. Uh, you know, Derek Carr is is a criminally underrated quarterback in the NFL, and on top of that, those options aren't very appealing. <laughs> Outside of that, I'll, let's facts. be honest. All right, we'll go a little NBA here. Would you rather, at this point, be a Nets fan or a Lakers fan, given how this season has gone? Oh, see, that's a great question, and I'm going to go Nets fan. And here's my logic on it. Like, yes, the Lakers have LeBron, but the last time I checked, the Nets at least have an idea of what next season will look like and what their viable plan is. The Nets can sell you on, hey – between the vaccine mandates and between Ben Simmons getting healthy, 
this thing was going to take a second. But next year, we'll have it all together, and we will find a way to keep Kyrie in the building, and everybody will be happy. Like, they can they can at least sell you that. What's the sales pitch for Lakers fans right now? Like, gee, guys, we'll get it right next year when we didn't this year. I, I, I'm out on the Lakers. I'm out on the Lakers for the next five years. That's, that's honestly – I'm with you on that one. All right, this next one here, it's brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone. It's brought to you by AutoZone. And the reason why here I want to know – what this is. We got two great NBA games this weekend on ESPN Radio. We have the Lakers and Warriors tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. And then we have the Bucks and Sunday, an NBA Finals rematch on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern. So my question is, is you get a get a chance to listen to one of those games, which one are you picking? Oh, I'm going Bucks and Suns all day. The Bucks are going to be in the zone, getting the zone, brought to you by AutoZone, getting the zone, AutoZone. Look at what we did there. Uh, look, the Bucks uh, all day long are being just absolutely ignored, and all they are is great when they need to be. I, I, I am not worried about the Bucks at all. Uh, I think the Bucks are going to represent the East in the NBA Finals. I, I believe that the Bucks are going to be just fine through all of it, and they have a chance to make a real statement against the Suns, even though the Suns are banged up, and we know that everything it's, – it's less than 100% of the Suns. I still think that's a better matchup. Last one to close you out. I want to hear you defend it. Would you rather watch all the Spider-Man movies or all the Batman movies, given there's oh. been a ton of them? all the Batman movies in a heart like that's not even a close conversation because like I've only seen bits and pieces of the couple of the Spider-Man ones but they're kind of lame You're like the out. Batman ones like the old Batman ones will give you reason to smile the new Batman ones will give you reasons to feel like oh some of the acting in the Batman ones are great like I'm all in on Batman I'm in on that one all right, there we go. Well done, Chris. That was a great job uh, by you, as I've now given, uh, like, somebody's going to get my mentions about Spider-Man. I, I, I apologize, but uh, it's still all Batman. Coach K going to be joining Freddie and Fitzsimmons coming up. You do not want to miss that. Thanks for hanging out with Spain and Fitz. It's been Jason Fitz flying solo on ESPN Radio.